Holy Father, we do bless you and praise you and honor you, recognizing you are the only true God. And Father, help us to be living sacrifices unto you, Father, pouring our lives out for your glory and honor, Father. We ask, Father, that your power, Holy Spirit work mightily through us, Father, through power and strength and love and self-control. Help us to be a community of believers who are on fire for Jesus Christ. Help us to have true, living, breathing relationship with you. Father, we confess and know that we're sinners that need your grace. We thank you for it. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Right now, Father, we ask that you uh, open up our hearts and minds to Pastor Casey's message. Help your Holy Spirit to be mightily working in us so we can take what Pastor Casey says and apply it to our daily lives. We love you and praise you. It's in through Jesus Christ, his name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I know we have praise and worship at 5, so I'll try to keep this short and let you out by then so we just don't have to stay through the whole time. It was, I know some of you are like, oh no, that's how he's starting it. It was 4 a.m. Thursday of last week when I woke up from a dead sleep and I just woke up and I had been praying to God for him to show me if I was supposed to be back up here in the pulpit preaching and with all the different ministries that I'm involved in and doing and um, I just woke up with this message and he just started sharing with me scriptures and things that he wanted me to share. And so I woke up at 4 a.m., which I never wake up like a dead, from a dead sleep and then am wide awake, but that's what happened. So I turned the light on, started writing down notes and thoughts and scriptures and my wife rolls over. She's like, what are you doing at 4 a.m.? Um, <laughs> and even this week, she, my alarm will go off at 7 and she would have had a late night. And I'm like, good morning. She's like, it's not a good morning yet. You know, that's just how my mornings are. So at 4 a.m., you can imagine. And I turn on the light, writing these things down. She rolls over. She's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I can't, can't talk. I got to write this down right now. And I'm going to forget. So a few minutes later, go back to bed, sound asleep, went right back to bed. Ten minutes later, same thing happens. I'm wide awake, new thoughts, new, new scriptures, new ideas. So I turn the light on again and start writing these things down. It happens again, and it happens again. It happened like five times. And about the fifth time, I decided, okay, if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a horrible morning anyways because I'm not going to get any sleep. God, you want me to spend some time with you right now. So I just got up, went to the living room, got my Bible, and spent some time in prayer. And this message, I believe, is a result of that time and what he gave me. And so I think it is for our church at this moment. And so I hope, and I, I, I hope that you open your hearts to this, and, and we're going to be getting into some really, really good stuff this morning. As we move on, though, it is important for all of us to know it is very dangerous what we're about to partake in. And I say that because we're called as followers of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples. And in Matthew 28, it says that we go and make disciples by teaching them to obey all the things we've heard. And it says in 2 Timothy that we're supposed to entrust these things to others. So I want to ask you this morning, as you're sitting in church this morning, do you realize what you're about to partake in is hearing from God himself? And we're called as followers of Christ to go out from this place and teach others what you're about to learn. Many times 
When we begin teaching something, we start to listen more to the instructor, right? We start to listen more to the Word of God if we know we're going to have to go teach this to somebody. So you need to be taking good notes, not just this service, every service, every Bible study, every connect group. You're called that when you dig in, that you're supposed to be teaching others. And so for those of you who've been sitting in church for 10 years, 40 years, 50 years, the more you have been subject to this, the more you're going to be held accountable for. Do we understand this? In other countries where they have one page of scripture, they have a general revelation of God. But when they have just one page of scripture and they're studying that, you know, we're going to be held in so much more accountability to God when we get before him one day and we have the whole thing. That's, that's, that's the depth, that's the importance of what we do when we open God's word. And so we need to understand that it's better to have never heard these things than to hear what we're about to partake in and go out and do nothing with it. It's better that you would have never heard what we're about to do unless you go out and do something with it. So I say all of that just kind of as a warning. It's also just a mindset, a mindset we are about to hear from God to put our minds and hearts in the right place. We're going to be in Acts, the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, good job. If you have your Bibles, everybody grab your Bibles. Turn to Acts chapter 2. While you're doing this, I'm going to move this back just ever so slightly so these people can see me here. Um, Acts chapter 2. I want to give some background on the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, we just, we just see that Jesus goes into heaven and he's telling his people, okay, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but I'm going to send somebody better than me. So Jesus is himself is saying, I'm going to send somebody better than me. That person is called the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And it's what's in our lives today if you're a follower of Christ. He says, I'm going to send this. And then he gives them a warning. He says, don't try to do this church thing, this Christian thing without the Holy Spirit. So wait. And then we go into Acts chapter 2. And it says that all the apostles, the disciples of Jesus Christ, they were just waiting. They were all together in one place, just kind of waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit rushes down on them, flows through the whole people group who were there. And everyone who was there began to be able to speak and interpret one another. Tongues of fire fell on them. People of other languages could now understand. And this is when Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd. And then he addresses the crowd and he gives the gospel presentation to them. He shares with them the death, burial, resurrection. That Jesus came, took their sin. He lived a perfect life. You couldn't live. The greatest exchange ever took place. He warned them of their sin. And then he also pleaded with them for salvation. And that day we see 3,000 people added to the church. Incredible day. It's called Pentecost. Okay? So incredible day. We're going to be picking up right after that happens. So 3,000 new converts. And then we're going to be beginning in verse 42. We're going to look at what happened in their life. If you would read along verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wondrous and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their home and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's our text for this morning. 
And I want you to see, this is what a healthy church looks like right here in Acts 2.42. This is what a healthy church looks like. And I know many times as I'm reading scripture, I think, yeah, but that happened like a really long time ago and God's not expecting the same thing today. And I want you to know he is. This happened in the New Testament. It, it's, it's an application for us. We should see this happening in our church too. And so we're going to dig into this, but understand this didn't happen just a really long time ago and that it's God's desire for this not to happen anymore. It should be happening. And we need to understand if there's anything that we see was happening that's not happening, we don't need to be down on ourselves or I'm attacking us. I'm just saying, man, maybe God wants to do an incredible abundance over what he's already doing. Because there has been some incredible things going on here at the family church. I don't know about you, but the praise and worship that I've been experiencing the past couple of weeks has been phenomenal. Have you guys enjoyed it? Okay. It has been phenomenal. And I've enjoyed just coming in here even during practices and listening. We had our connect group leaders meeting the other night where... Um, we just came together and God is just doing incredible things in all the ministries. In many of your lives, I hear that, man, God is growing you and you've been in scripture more than you've ever been. So I don't want to discount that, but I think that God wants even more from us. And I'm so thankful he doesn't leave us where we're at. He's always pursuing us and always challenging us. So we're going to look here and dig in. We're going to begin with verse 42. And we're going to get really, really in-depth here. The very first word of verse 42 is, say it with me, church. They. they. Who is they? Us, the church. This was the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ. This wasn't those who believed in pagan gods. This was just those who devoted themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says they devoted themselves to three things. We're going to take a look at that. The word devoted, it means zealous in devotion or affection. To be dedicated exclusively to a purpose. I love that. Dedicated exclusively to a purpose is what it means. We need to be dedicated exclusively to God. Nothing else. And many times in my life, I'm not dedicated exclusively. And we're going to talk about when that happens. But they were dedicated exclusively first, as it says in the scripture, to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? What were the apostles' teaching? They were teaching the things they heard from Jesus Christ himself. They were teaching the Old Testament. They were teaching the New Testament. They were teaching the Word of God. So, a little flip chart that we have here, devoted to God's Word. The first thing they were devoted to is God's Word. As we keep going in the text, it says the second thing, they were devoted to fellowship. First century fellowship was not like how we consider fellowship. We think fellowship, and we're like, potluck. Fellowship potluck. That's automatically what we go to. And I love potlucks, okay? Don't get me wrong. I love potlucks. I love dinner. If you ever have any of those, you can invite us. I will be there. Um, but fellowship in the New Testament, it consisted of singing songs of praise together, reading scripture together, getting on their knees together in prayer, confessing of sins to one another, things that we normally don't partake in, like I've never been to a potluck where we're like, hey, you know, I just did this in my life and, you know, or hey, let's get on our knees and pray. Um, but that's how their fellowship was. To be honest, the other night when we had this connect group leaders and host home, um, just leaders meeting, we said, we're going to do worship, but we're not going to have any instruments. We're just going to get around a piano. And I'm like, 
that's going to be weird. That's just what I felt. And I told him, I said, guys, I don't know how this is going to go. Um, Terry was like all for this. And I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. If this is going to be like, nobody's going to be singing and Chris is going to be the only one. But it was phenomenal. And we got around the piano and you could hear everybody singing. We just had our sheet music and it was an incredible time of worship. Uh, I was invited to a family's house here from our church and they do this fellowship thing more than, better than any family I've ever been a, a part of. And they invited me in and while I was there, they were around the kitchen table and they were all holding hands. And I'm like, okay, we're about to pray. And then the dad stood up and said, does anyone have one? And I was thinking, yeah, I got a couple of unspoken prayer requests of things that I can't talk about. But I almost jumped in and said, I have an unspoken. And then somebody from the family said the name of a song. And then I'm like, what is that? What is, that's not even a prayer request. And then they all just started singing. And I was like, what are they doing? And I don't know the song, so I'm just acting like I know the song. And they get done singing, and they sing together every night before dinner. They sing a praise song to God every night before dinner. And I told him afterwards, I said, I would have been really embarrassed if I said, yeah, I have a couple unspokens. And to this day, every time I'm at their house or we talk about prayer, they always bring that up and joke about it. Um, but they spend time together in praise and worship. And, you know, in Ephesians 5.19, it says that we're supposed to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit. We're supposed to sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And that's what they did. Um, as I think back at that illustration, I, I think of the movie The Grinch. You guys know The Grinch Who Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey, where he's singing there with Cindy Lou Who, and they're swinging their arms, and they're all singing the song, but The Grinch doesn't know the song. That's how I felt in that instance. Um, <laughs> I couldn't give that joke in the first service. My wife said they won't, they won't get it. Um, but I had to give it here. So, so, I know. Luckily, we're recording this one. We'll put this one up. And so the first service will never know that happened. Uh, so the second thing that they devoted themselves to was the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the people of God, the family of God. In that, we see in the scripture here that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread to the breaking of bread. That means that they focused on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Communion. They had communion in their fellowship all the time. It wasn't just at church. It was in their homes. It was during their connect groups. Whatever they had, they, they did that. And then the last thing that they devoted themselves to that we see in the text is they devoted themselves exclusively to prayer. They devoted themselves exclusively to prayer. To prayer. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 18, 1, that they should always pray and never give up. In Romans 12, 12, it says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And I want you to listen. I have these flip charts for a reason, because I'm going to be referencing them a lot. This is what they were devoted to. This is the process that they had. And I want you to listen this is what they were devoted to. This is going to be the results. Listen to the results the New Testament church had. We're going to be starting in verse 44. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They had perfect unity. All the believers together, they had perfect unity. Their goals were the same. They were of one mind, one hope, one faith, just like the scripture says. And one of the one of the main responsibilities of a leader of any organization, be it a church, maybe just 
Family, husbands, you're leading your family. Maybe you own a business. One of the primary responsibilities of a leader is to first define reality. If you don't define reality, you don't know where you need to go next. And so I'm going to be asking some tough questions this morning for you to think just in your mind, hmm, is that really happening? The first question that we have is, you know, this church had perfect unity. Do we as a church have perfect unity? The way we see it in the New Testament. Do we have a church, as a church, have perfect unity? I'm going to be asking these questions because we need to define reality. And if there's any point where we're lacking in one of these things, we need to figure out why, because God has something more for us. And I don't want to miss out on that. Let's keep going in verse 45. It says, they, who was they? They, the church, right? They sold their possessions and goods, and they gave to anyone as had a need. We almost never see that happening in our culture. We're like, oh, I hear your car broke down. Well, I got two. You can have this one, right? Or if I, if I work an extra shift this month, instead of it just going into our we could just actually give it to this family in need. They lived sacrificial lives to where everybody had needs. And then because everyone gave, no one had needs. They had sacrificial living. It says they brought their stuff and they said, hey, you know, I don't have to have this. They understood what it meant to be part of that. So they viewed their worldly possessions, their bank accounts, their portfolios. They viewed it all as God. So the question we need to ask is, do we, as a, as a church, live sacrificial lives with our stuff? Do you? Do I? And we need to begin to think, man, maybe a little bit. Just, just ask, the, ask the question, and I'm just going to allow these questions to sit on you as we move forward. Let's keep going in verse 46. It says, every day. And I, I want to stop there. What do you think the Bible means when it says every day? Every day, okay? Every day they did this. Every day they, the church, continued to meet together in the temple courts. The temple courts was like church to them. So every day they went to church. Every day they went to church, right? It was all the time. Every day they lived out in this community. Every day they went to church and it was focused not on each other. And it wasn't even, I'm going to church because I need a spiritual refilling. It was, I'm going to church because God deserves to be praised. And so they went to church and they were a God-glorifying community that always had daily worship. They worship God daily. Do we as a church or you as a family experience daily worship? Just a question to ask ourselves. Do we experience daily worship here at the family church. Let's keep going. It says that they broke bread together in their homes and they spent time together daily. They had real community because it was always focused on Jesus Christ. That was their purpose. That was their focus. They were dedicated exclusively to the cause of Jesus Christ. So we see they had Christ-centered community as well. Do we have Christ-centered community at the family church? And is it even possible to have some of these things? Because we live in a culture that when you get home, 
It's like, I had a tough day at work. I don't even want to talk about it, right? My mind can shut off, and I work at a church. So when I get home, oh, it was a rough day. I don't even want to talk about it. And I'm sure your days are the same to where we just want to come home, and we want my time, me time. And the Bible says there's no such thing as me time. It says there's time for us. There's time dedicated that when it is me time, it's really us time, me spending time with God. And so in our culture, it's really even tough for us to have community, but it is possible. And it's something we have to fight for. In verse 47, let's keep moving along. It says, they praised God continually and had favor with all the people. Listen, this was a church that people were drawn into this place because they had undying love for one another. They loved one another. And it was so infectious, their love for one another, that everybody started wanting to know what this was about. So it wasn't just an invite to, to church. It was on their way to church, that person was led to Christ. I mean, it wasn't, hey, come to my church so you can get saved. It was, I'm going out and I'm going to change the world. That's what was happening. Continual praise for God. This was something else that was a result that happened. So again, these are the processes right? They devoted themselves to, let's say it, God's word. Second, third, great. And then what happened as a result? I got you guys. All right. Okay. And then the last thing was this, and this is incredible. Listen to what happened. The last thing is, and, I love how they start out with, and, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily salvations were happening in this church. People were being saved daily. They were coming to faith and knowledge in Jesus Christ daily. So the question is, are daily salvations happening in our church? Are they happening in our church? Not just on Sunday. Are they happening Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? And then the next question is, should they be? Should they be happening in your life, your neighbors, your friends? So this is the process. This is the results. And the question that we automatically begin to jump to is, man, if these things aren't happening what should I do? And it's important for us to realize this because this is where a lot of churches go wrong. What was their goal? Did the New Testament church set out to have a goal of these things? Was this their goal? Did they have a goal of let's make sure that we sell all of our stuff and then we do this and we do this? No, this was not their goal. This came about through the process these are the results, not the goal. And many times churches, now, they're, they're, they want to do right. And many times we do this. We want the right things. We want good things. So we say, man, we want to get people saved. We need people who are, you know, going to be saved from hell and spend eternity with God. So let's set some goals of, you know, a thousand people this year for daily salvations or whatever it is. And we think that these are the goals when these are not the goals. These are byproducts of having the right goals, right? This, this is not what they focused on. It was a result of what they focused on. So we're going to keep going in this. 
And I know that this is a tough thing for us to struggle with. Their goal was not better fellowship. Listen, their goal, and, and it is not for you to try to duplicate these things. Well, Casey's talking about sacrificial living. He must be talking about tithing, right? It's a message on money, or it's a message on we need to be at church more. Listen, I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that if we do these things correctly, this will overflow. So if there's a church and there's a tithing problem, listen, it's not a tithing problem. It's not a transitional problem. It's a theology problem because this is overflow of the heart, right? If, the, if I'm in a marriage and I'm not loving my wife, it's not because I'm not loving her. It's an actual problem with God because he's commanded to do this. So this is a byproduct of right living. I hope you see the progression here. So the $100 question that many of us are asking is this. So what do we do then? You, you, you just went through this whole list and, you know, I am not really doing a lot of these or, or we as a church aren't really doing as much as we should. So our automatic inclination is, well, if, if this comes about by doing these things, then we should probably do these things, right? That's where I automatically jump to. If I just start doing these things and I dedicate myself to God's word, fellowship and prayer, then these things will happen. And here's the problem with this. How many of us have said, or we've, we've done in our lives, man, if, if I could just wake up 30 minutes earlier every morning, and, and, and I'm going to spend time with God's word, and I'm going to make sure I get in a connect group this time. I'm going to get in a connect group. And every night before I go to bed, I'm going to get on my knees for prayer. We've done things like that. We've set goals. And then what happens? We, we're like two days, two months, and then nothing happens. I mean, we start out strong, and it's because you guys and I, church, we're, we're trying to desire things that we don't automatically desire. I don't desire to spend time in God's Word on my own. I don't desire to spend time with prayer on my own. And, and the question that God brought about to me to ask you and also to ask myself was at a high school Bible study that we have at our house on Fridays. And I was out with the guys, just the men on the back porch, and we were just talking, and I was going through this, and I said, we need to be devoted to God's word, fellowship, and prayer. And then God had me ask the question for myself, but also for them, and it was, if we did love God as much as we thought we did, do you think these things would already be happening? And once I said it, I'm like, God, I think I love you a lot, right? I mean, we all think we love God so much. And then I want to ask you, if you love God so much, are these things happening as a result of these? Because in my life, man, God, I think I love you this much, but when I look at what I'm really devoted to, am I really ex devoted exclusively for these things? Because if I'm not, maybe it should start to question how much I really love God. Maybe I don't really love God as much as I think I do. Because if I did, I wouldn't have to set these to-do lists. It's not a matter of your will. I just have to will myself. I just have to make sure I set my alarm. I just have to get my priorities straight. Listen, if you love God as much as you should, your priorities will follow. Your priorities will be straight. So then the question is, well, what shall we do then? Casey, you said we can't jump to this. We said, you said we can't jump to this. Listen, 
if we don't see God for who he is in his glory, in his love, his majesty, his righteousness, and also his wrath, that he's going to judge sin, but also his grace. Listen, if we have an impure picture of God, do you know what we have? We have an idol in our life. If we don't see God for who the scripture says God is, then, then it's not a matter of priority. It's a matter of, God, I have created an idol in my life that thinks it's okay to not be devoted to these things and for my life to really not amount to as much as it should. Because we have to define reality. And when we define reality, we see why it's not happening. And you need to understand why it's not happening is because we don't see God the way we should. And that's an idol. What do we do with idols? The Bible says we're supposed to turn from them. So the question is, what should we do? And I love how Scripture says it in Acts. Because what Peter, when he stood up and addressed the crowd, and he told them things, listen to what happened before the results. Listen to what happened before they started the process. Because there was something that sparked the whole thing. And if we can get that right in our lives, what sparked the whole thing this church is going to do incredible things for God, and he's going to do incredible things through your life. And it's right here in the text. And we're going to begin in verse 36. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. This is what happened that started the whole thing. And Peter was speaking, and he says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Stop. This Jesus whom you crucified, it was our sin that crucified him. Your sin and my sin. If you've ever lied, stolen, cheated, had impure thoughts, you've sinned. And the Bible says you're in opposition to who God is. And when you are faced with the reality of that, just like they were, the Bible says you have two options. You can either turn to him and repent, or you can harden your heart and be unrepentant. And it's up to you. This is how they responded. Listen, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were asking the same question. Well, then what should I do? What should I do now, church? What should we do if, if we clearly see some of these things aren't happening and we want them to, and, and I have such a hard time being devoted to these things, then what can I do? And then Peter responds, repent. That's it. He says, repent. All you need to do is go to God and repent and say, God, I am sorry. I've created an idol in my life. And I'm not devoted to your word, to fellowship and a prayer like I should be. Not because of my priorities, not because I didn't get enough sleep, not because I had a bad day at work. I'm not devoted to those things because I have made an idol in my life. And when we realize that, we need to confess that to God and say, God, I've made an idol and I need you to help me love you more. I can't will myself and neither can you. We can't will ourselves to love God more. It's not a matter of today, I'm just going to really work hard at it. God says it's all about him, through him, because of him. It has nothing to do with us. The only thing we can do is repent and say, God, I am sorry. That's what has to happen to break this cycle. Listen, if we repent 
and say, God, change me, work in my life. I want this to be a byproduct of my relationship with you. When we begin to get that right, I truly believe thousands of, thousands of people are going to be saved because of what's going on in our church. We're going to be leading people to Christ. We're going to have Christ-centered community. We're going to have unity. We're going to learn to start not loving all of our stuff. We're going to learn, God, it's yours anyway. The reason we have an issue with our money is because we don't see God that he owns it all. So don't become legalistic and begin attacking yourself thinking, well, I just need to really force how to give or I just need to learn how to love or I just need to learn some, some evangelism techniques to share with people. It comes out of a byproduct of a right relationship with God. And so as I'm closing, as the band comes up, I want you to think what your life looks like and what it should. And if it doesn't look like it should, because your focuses are wrong, it's not a matter of rechanging your focus. It's a matter of saying, God, I'm sorry. Help me to get right. And that's called repentance. You're turning from your sin, your idol, and you're clinging on to God and you're saying, God, help me. You are everything. I'm going to pray. If God is working in your heart and you feel that needs to be done, the altar is open. There's, there's going to be people. You can come talk with Pastor Terry. You can talk with myself. You can talk with some men in the back. You can get on your knees, on the sides, whatever you need to do. You can do it right in your chair. But the Bible says we need to repent and turn to God. Christians, repentance is not a one-time thing that you did when you first became a Christian. It should be a daily thing. Daily thing. I should be daily repenting because God is so good and I am so ungood. Would you pray with me? God, I know it is tough for us to realize and see sometimes who we are. But God, I thank you. Never, you never leave us there. That when you show us who we are and you show us our sins or you show us our shortfalls, God, you're always right there to restore us. God, I thank you for doing incredible things in our church. I thank you that you are starting a process and that you are going to finish it. God, I pray for the hearts right now that have never trusted in you as their Savior. They don't know if they died today, if they would spend eternity in heaven or hell. God, I pray that they may turn to you and say, God, save me. I need your help. I understand my sin. God, for those of us in the audience who are Christians, we've maybe been a Christian for 40 years but we still don't have these things in our life the way we should, God. Help them not to get stuck in this process thinking, if I only could or if I just, help us to turn to you in repentance, saying, God, have mercy on me. I need your love. I need your help. I can't do it alone. I thank you that it begins with us just realizing who you are. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.